Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Okay, a lot of visitors we've seen over uh, the last few weeks since the the COVID um, you know, guidelines have changed and shifted. We're kind of starting to get back to, to normal a little bit. Now, uh, be praying because we are looking to get back to, you know, having Kaya as usual. Uh, the, the location that we usually meet in, St. Paul's, is not even going to consider us coming back into August. And so um, there are some other options, other places where we might meet nearby. Be praying about those open doors. We'd like to get back to normal because I think it's easier for worship and, and we get a little bit more time. There'd be more flexibility in our schedule. Um, but be looking to, you know, as much as possible, find opportunities to gather together in light of the fact that this is a little bit difficult, right? We're a little constrained here. And so when small groups are getting together, going to the park, hanging out, playing Frisbee, grilling out, uh, make sure that you're a part of that because uh, we are a ministry that's just... Uh, that loves to fellowship together, and if you don't get that piece, you're missing out on a lot of what uh, God has made our ministry to be in terms of identity. So, so please jo- uh, join yourself to us in that way, if, if, if at all possible. I want to thank Seth for preaching last week. Well, there you are, man. Thanks, dude. That's a great word. Yeah. A lot of, of, of men of God that are, that are growing in their ability to preach, um, and there's a lot of you in this room uh, that are right behind men like Seth. And so uh, let's keep following in each other's footsteps. Let's look to each other as in samples. Uh, As your brothers are following the Lord, be following right behind them. And let's uh, let's keep this discipleship train going, right? Can we we do that? All right, everybody turn to Acts chapter 16. We are going to be preaching a message called A Woman of Influence today. So this one, this one's about the ladies. Yeah? Yeah, I was hoping I'd get some whoops. That's, that's referred as, to as a whoop. The, the ladies, they whoop a lot, it seems like. Um, last we were together in Acts, we saw Paul on a missionary journey with Timothy and Silas headed to visit all the churches that they had previously established on the first missionary journey of Paul. And so their thought was it was Timothy and it was Paul and Silas was added to this team as well. And so they decided that they were going to go and visit all these churches that Paul had previously established and, and see how they were doing, check in, encourage them, love on them a little bit. And as they went, they thought to themselves, well, let's go and let's explore Asia. Let's go into Asia a little bit. Let's go visit the churches that we were used to, to plant there. And, and, and the Holy Spirit said, no, 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 that's not how this is going to work this time around. And they're like, okay, well, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to go to Bithynia? And so they start heading towards Bithynia. And the Holy Spirit once again says, uh-uh, I don't want you going there. We talked about how God uh, has the, the, the right to change our plans We make a plan, we trust the Lord with it, and then we're flexible and adaptable enough to say, Lord, whatever you would do to change this plan, however you see fit to use my life, I'm going to be flexible enough to respond to you with yes, sir. And so that's what they do. That's what these men do. And so they camp out in Troas, and as they're praying and waiting on the Lord, uh, Paul receives a vision in the night, okay? A Macedonian man comes to him in a vision and says, hey, come help us. We need help. Okay, we need help establishing the churches. And, and that's really all that's said. 
Now, just briefly, I want to point out the fact that the, the vision that Paul received is, is uh, unique to the time period in which the apostles lived. In other words, the apostles of this time frame uh, would have seen visions. We know that Peter saw a vision as well. And, and we see that vision taking place. But we know dispensationally that as the apostles died off and as the word of God was completed, we rely on the word of God to give us our mission, our vision, and to point us in the right direction. With a completed or perfect word of God, we can rely on that to give us all the vision that we need as believers. So that's just a side note. Uh, check other sermons earlier on in the Acts series to learn more about what that means. Um, but, the, but the point is that he received this vision of God. Let's look at verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come, come over into Macedonia and help us. And so the Lord clarifies to Paul what he wants him, as well as the team, to do. Okay, what he wants them to focus their endeavors on. And then Luke joins himself to the team. We mentioned last time that as we continue on throughout the book of Acts, we see that this becomes like a first-person plural story. In other words, Luke now is using the term we to describe what's going on. Luke's joined himself to this missions team. Verse 10, And after he had seen the vision, immediately, listen, we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. So Paul received the vision, but it was the team that gave themselves to the effort. If Paul received the vision, then each of them would own that vision. And that leads us to our very first, we've got a key point right off the bat. You ready for it? Here it comes. The leader's vision is a shared vision. It's a very simple principle. The leader's vision is a shared vision. We can see this all throughout Scripture, that there are men of God that are put in place, established to be the leaders of whether, whether it was in the, the nation of Israel we could use David as an example of a leader. Okay, God establishes these leaders so that the work of building the kingdom of God can be shared and that vision can be bestowed upon other people as well. Now, this is how we ought to see Pastor Sam. This is how we ought to see Pastor Sam. God has given him a vision to reach Kansas City. And it's according to both God's will and plan for our lives that we consider ourselves, as members of Midtown Baptist Temple, we would consider ourselves a part of that vision. So at every level, the pastors and leader desire to own that vision, to submit to that vision, to yearn on that vision, to pray about that vision, to strategize about that vision. See, Sam's vision belongs to us. It belongs to us, and we ought to own it at the same level that Sam owns it. So, so think for a moment. Consider... What Sam gives himself in a regular work week in terms of prayer and focus and attention, and there's not a single one of us, whether we, we have a full-time job or whatever it is that we're doing, oh, I'm a student, so I don't really have time to devote to that. Well, what are you doing as a student? What are you doing as an employee? What is it you're doing as a person and a member of Midtown Baptist Temple to apply yourself to the vision that God has given this church? So you can be every bit as active as any of the pastors in this church are. You know, half of my time as my job is devoted to just like updating stuff on the LFBI website, and, you know, 
And so I'm doing stuff. I'm grading stuff in Living Faith Bible Institute. And I'm doing, I do a lot of work that just seems monotonous, you know, and not particularly spiritual sometimes. I do that too. I answer emails and do things like that. Not any different than what you do. But the point is that all of us should be working to further the gospel in Kansas City at every given moment, right? Our prayer and our time should be, should be our, our mind should be fastened on all the things that Sam Miles' mind is fastened to. This is how we ought to be thinking. And so the leader, the leader's vision is a shared vision. Now, if you feel as though that you're outside of that vision, maybe you're fairly new to Kaya, maybe you're fairly new to Midtown Baptist Temple, and you're saying to yourself, well, I feel a little bit outside of that vision. I don't know if I own it at that level. What are the steps that I take to learn how to own it at that level? Okay, because what we're talking about ultimately is passions, aren't we? It's hard to, hard to live a vision out unless you're passionate for it. Okay, so the first thing I would suggest that you do is you join yourself to other leaders in Kaya. You would join yourself to a Bible study. You would begin to hear the heartbeat. You would begin to apply yourself to God's word all the same way the other leaders are. And what will happen is in time, you will begin to own the vision at the same level. Okay, so that's very practically what you should be doing. And you're going to eventually in time find your role on this team. We need you. That's what we talked about last week. Come help us. We got some work to do. Come help us. So as the, in, the team is envisioned to go, they discover that things aren't quite as they imagine them to be. As they enter into Macedonia, as they set sail and they, they reach the, the shore of Macedonia, things don't turn out quite as they imagined that they would. All right? So let's look at what they didn't expect Acts 16, verse 11 says, Therefore, loosing from Troas, it means they set, set out, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, is how I'm going to pronounce that, if you don't mind. How would you pronounce it, Eric? Sam, yeah, is that right? Samothracia. Not Samothracia. <laughs> and the next day, to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia. Okay, so Philippi uh, was one of the chief cities. Thessalonica, if you're familiar with that city, is another chief city in Macedonia. We'll visit Thessalonica together in the next chapter. And a colony, uh, it's a, so this is also a colony of Rome. So it's loosely overseen by the government of Rome. In fact, uh, it was a very bustling city because... Uh, Philippi would have also had uh, lightened restrictions in terms of taxes to promote greater business. It's a very capitalistic place, if you will. And so they're in, they're in Philippi. Now you'd imagine that because of the, the vision that came to Paul, right? Because of God shut doors here and there, and God really seemed to be in the plans. You know what I mean? He shut that door. He shut this door. And a vision came to Paul, and things felt very, very clear about what they were supposed to do. You would imagine that as they show up on the shores of Macedonia, that there would be a party waiting for them. That like the man in that vision would be like waving a banner, right? <laughs> that people would be celebrating, that there would be fanfare, that people would be excited. But that's not what, that's not what they saw when they got there. It was like crickets, right? There was, there was no one to greet them. 
In fact, just the opposite seems to take place. And as we continue through Acts chapter 16, we're going to discover that their time in Philippi is defined by demon-possessed women, beatings, and time in jail. So, real, real exciting. You know, exactly what you would imagine, right? No, see, this reminds us of a very important key point. Ministry reality is rarely what we dream or anticipate it will be. The ministry reality of our lives, what, you know, when, when we live within the vision that you, we believe that God has given us, maybe we have clarity about how to move forward in ministry. It is rarely, rarely going to manifest itself the way that we imagine it when we dream about it. You know, I don't know about you, but because I own the vision, a lot of times I lay in bed at night and I think about, I think about you guys. I think about the Bible studies. I think about how God is going to use you to do amazing things. I think about, uh, you know, I think about the, the vision that God has given us in terms of, of Bible study and evangelism in the college campuses. And I like to think about things in a very positive light. Right? That's how I pray and that's how I think. And I think, man, it's going to be so awesome. And you know what it's going to be? It's going to be. I'm not, like, I'm, I, literally, I'm, I'm one of the dumbest people you know. And if God says it, I believe it. And I believe that God is going to use us to reap a harvest, especially in these last times. I just believe that, like, with everything in my being. I believe that. But it doesn't change the fact that a lot of times what I imagine things to be from day to day are often interrupted by problems that I don't foresee. Things that I'm not expecting. Painful things. See, we have to anticipate unforeseen challenges in ministry because some fields are just sometimes hard. 2 Corinthians 12.10 says, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, which is the most ridiculous statement. Only a fool can make that statement. Nobody likes infirmities. Nobody likes pain and suffering. No one likes hardship. No one likes it when their car breaks down three times in one week, right? Right, Kendall? No one likes that. No one likes interruptions. But Paul says he takes pleasure in them. He takes pleasure in the reproaches. That means when people show hatred towards him. He can take pleasure in that. Weird. You know, I've got this troll I've got a troll right now. I've mentioned this to some of you guys. There's this guy that is disliking like every YouTube video we produce. Like I know for a fact he's not going to watch this video, okay, on YouTube. But he will take time at some point in the week to just go and dislike the video. I'm sure of it. It's guaranteed fact. And his reasoning is because I have long hippie hair, okay, because he's a legalist. And that's okay with me. That's not a problem because I don't mind the reproaches, if that's, all they, if, that, if that's all that Satan's got is a dislike on a YouTube video, geez, I know, that the, I know there's more in store for me than that. I know there's re more reproach for me than that. And I can, I can actually learn to take pleasure knowing that God's got my back. See, he says, in necessities, when, things don't, when I don't seem to have the things that I need, when my pockets are empty, when I don't know where my next meal is coming from, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for, for when I am weak,
then I'm strong. See, because when you're convinced that you're getting traction on your college campus for the gospel's sake, COVID hits. Yeah, unforeseen, distress, interruption. Because when you believe that airport pickup is a crucial part of your outreach ministry to internationals, then it gets taken away from you. Because when you thought you had a grasp on discipleship, your discipleship relationship, but something happens to create crisis in that relationship, there's an interruption. What are you going to do? See, we have to be mature enough to say that when I am in distress, when my circumstances make me weak, then I'm actually, I actually have the potential to be stronger than I've ever been. So as Paul and the posse arrive in Philippi, their circumstances as they imagine them to be don't play out that way. And not only that, God brings people into their path that they would have never have imagined. Which is pretty awesome. Which is pretty awesome. Look at verse 11. So they loose from Troas. We came straight course to Samothracia and the next day to Neapolis and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony and we were in that city, listen, abiding certain days. Okay, now the reason is, the reason that they abode several days is because they got, they got there midweek. Now we know this from previous times with Paul on his missionary journeys. Where is it that he usually goes when he arrives into a city? What's the first place that he usually goes? The synagogue, right? So if he arrives here in Philippi midweek, he's going to abide certain days to wait for the Sabbath so that he might go to the synagogue and preach the gospel, which generally had like mixed reactions, right? But that's what he was, he was aiming for that, right? And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where peer, uh, prayer was wont to be made. We sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. So it's clear from the, sto- the story that they were looking on the Sabbath to go to the synagogue, except for there's one problem. We see them arrive at the riverside, don't we? Why, why would that be? Why would that be? Why would they wait for the Sabbath only to, to end up at the riverside? It's because there's no synagogue. There's no synagogue in Philippi to go to. So what's going on here? Why is it that the only worshipers that they can find are down by a river. And beyond that, where are the men? Where are the men? You know, the synagogue is a concept that was established during the, the exile of the Jewish people. In other words, in the absence of the temple during the exile, right, while the Jewish people were in captivity, they needed, they needed a place to worship considering they didn't have a temple to go to. Does this make sense? And so the idea, the concept of the synagogue came to being. Now listen to me. There was a few things that were required in order to establish a synagogue. You couldn't just say, oh, well, let's do it. Okay? The requirements were that you needed ten faithful men willing to meet to establish a synagogue. Ten faithful men. They, they refer to it as a minyan, I believe. Again, pronunciation is, is not my forte, but I believe it's a minyan. Is that right? Okay, good. We have a young Jewish believer in the house who's going to 
correct, correct me. Right? Bobby grew up Jewish in a Jewish household, so he, he, so he knows. A minyan, right? It's a group of, of ten, right, Jews, and that was what was required in order to establish a synagogue. Okay? Now, why wouldn't there be a synagogue in Philippi? Well, maybe it's because there were no faithful men to establish that work. And I think that the problem in Philippi is one that parallels our current time period. In 2020, I believe that there is also an absence of male leadership in terms of spiritual things. You know, there weren't even 10 Jewish men who were spiritually minded enough to create even just a small place for people to come and worship. Now, based on our story, we learn a lot about the men in this city, but we also learn a lot about the women. The women stepped up, and they met the need. And so they went down to the river, and the river, is a, for, the, for the Jews, would have been a very important place to be, because they could, they could do, the women could do all the ritual cleansings associated with, with the Jewish faith down by, down by the river, if you will, Right? Okay, as Leon Bridges would say, I guess. Now listen, I want to I point something out to you. Oftentimes, I find myself reaching out for help in ministry. Do you know where this is going? You can feel it. The guys are feeling sick <laughs> to their stomach. The girls are feeling a little giddy right now. Now listen. I might say something like, can we get 10 good men to help with hospitality this week? Sound familiar, men? This is actually the exact request that Jacqueline made. They needed help with hospitality this week. Can we get 10 good men to serve in Kidtown during the summer? Apparently not. Can we get 10 good men to finish all their assignments from week to week in Living Faith Bible Institute? And then I turn twice, and instead of ten good men, I find ten good women signed up for hospitality this week. Ten good women to serve in Kidtown during the summer. Ten good women who are willing to finish all of their LFBI work and prove out God's word in their life, to be diligent in God's word. And I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, that's basically been the story for the majority of my tenure in the college and young adult ministry. Which is why when I first came into the ministry, it was filled, two-thirds of the ministry was women. Now that's changed, praise God, because the guys, the guys are growing. I want to say that. The, the men in our ministry are, are rapidly growing, and I'm, I'm very, very excited about what's happening in that regard. But I will say that traditionally, in this ministry, uh, the women have proven time and time again to step up. And I want to thank you for that. I'm very proud of that. You know, Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 says, And they heard the voice, they being Adam and Eve, the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, the Lord God, amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto who? Oh, who did he call to? Adam. Adam. And he said, where art thou? Adam, where art thou? 
Oh, well, what about Eve? No, 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 listen to me. God holds Adam accountable. Adam, where are you? You know, I don't want to rag on our men because they are growing, but I do want to point out that from personal experience as a high school teacher and as a college minister, as a high school pastor, youth ministry pastor, women in ministry have been forced to grow up faster than our men, and the men of this generation take longer to recognize their need to lead. Now, I could go down a rabbit trail on that, because I've read the psychology, I've, I've read the sociology on this. There's all kinds of problems with men in our society. We recognize that. The absence of fathers in our society is a big part of that. Okay? The obsession, the obsession with entertainment is a problem with that. The things that we do to stunt the development of our cognition, okay? It's crazy how many kids start smoking weed by the time they're in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, kids drinking in high school, and this, this messes with your brain. And listen to me, women tend to develop faster in terms of the maturity, okay? So some of that's to be expected. But listen to me, guys. This generation needs you to lead. Christians in this generation have to be more peculiar than ever before. They need to see our unity right now, don't they? The world needs to see that we can love each other regardless of ethnicity, regardless of age, socioeconomic status. They need to see that in us. And they need to see the men living out what God asked them to live. And that means, men, you ought to start leading. When there's a call that, there's a call that comes out to you that says... Hey, we don't have anybody to mow the lawn at the church this week. Real simple requests. Or hey, there's going to be some work on the building this week. It ought not be the same three guys every time that raise their hand to say, yeah, I'm down for that. Some of you young disciples, men, you're in discipleship one right now. Where are you? We need you. We need you to come and help. There's work to do. Next key point. This might be the problem. This might be the, this is the diagnosis and the prescription all in one. Leadership is produced when a relationship with God demands movement in your life. Leadership is produced when God's word gets into you in such a way that you have no choice but to move forward. You have no choice but to be an ensample. You have no choice but to, to do everything that God would ask of you to do. And when the call comes out, you step up because you have no choice. It's burning inside of you. Now the problem is that many of you aren't in God's word on a daily basis. His voice, you don't even recognize his voice. This, is good. this goes for men and women in this ministry. If you're not daily in God's word, how do you expect to hear when it's time for you to step out? His voice is indiscernible to you. This is exactly the type of leadership we see in Lydia. This is what we're about to see in the woman Lydia. And exactly the type of leadership we need in the women in Kaya and men as well. We need people of conviction. 
People who understand the needs that surround them. People who are, who are willing to act as they're called to do so. Are you hearing me? You hearing this? Men and women in this ministry, God's calling you to lead. So, we've got all kinds of examples in Scripture of women that fill the void. Ladies, would you like to hear about them? Here's just a few examples. Women like Deborah in Judges chapter 4, who despite Barak's fears, okay, the guy that was supposed to lead the charge into battle, despite his fear, chose to go with him into battle to encourage him. Right? When the man was a little bit afraid, he said, well, will you go with me? She's like, all right, sure. I got you. She steps up. Women like Mary Magdalene, who was not afraid to fit, sit at the feet of her dying Savior when all of the, the male disciples of Jesus Christ, Christ seemed to be hiding. There she was at the feet of Christ, fearlessly worshiping, unafraid to be associated with the man hanging there, bleeding, dying. Mm, powerful. Women like Timothy's mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois, who despite not having a believing husband, raised the son with integrity and passion. Now even today, we have the gospel being spread all around the world because of faithful, faithful women. So, so I, am an, I am actually an example of that. See, I had, a, I had a deadbeat dad. Yeah? He was abusive. Okay? Drank, drank himself. Smoked himself into gluttony. And he disappeared. He abandoned my family. And my mom... Having lost a child already, raised three more. And we went to church, whether I liked it or not. Most of the time, I didn't like it. We were at church every Sunday. And she prayed for me. And she taught me the best she could about what it meant to be a man. Yeah? And these are the type of women that keep the gospel going throughout the world despite the male leadership void. Going on. Now, when we look back at Lydia, we know for a fact that God used her to spread the gospel throughout Europe. And any of us that can claim at any level, you know, as Americans, as people that live on, on this particular continent, as Westerners, we can recognize that part of our spiritual lineage came through Europe and may have and may have actually begun with this woman that we're about to talk about. It may have started right there. Now, I want to make an important point. See, if Paul was, came into Philippi looking for a synagogue and looking for men the way he had done before, 
and he looks upon Lydia and her friends and he saw them in terms of their outward appearance and based upon his previous experiences, he may have never preached the gospel that day. If he saw things from his cultural predilections, if he was looking through the lens of his upbringing, he would have probably never preached the gospel that day. He would have looked around and said, men, it's time to go to Thessalonica. You guys ready to go? That's what he would have done, you understand? But he didn't because Paul knew something. He knew something. That God doesn't see things in those terms. God doesn't see things in those terms. See, Paul saw his reality in terms of souls. And he wasted no opportunities. And he was not hindered by gender or race or ethnicity. He wasn't hindered by those things. Now, we've, we've visited this verse a lot the last week, so, but it bears repeating here. Romans 10, 12. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. You understand? There's no difference. In the spiritual economy, there's no difference. For the same Lord over all is rich, and to all that call upon him, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now listen to me. If, you are op- uh, if you're praying for open doors which I hope that you are. Like if, if you are a spiritually minded individual, I hope that every single day you're praying that God would open a door for you to preach the gospel. If you're that type of person, then you need to be prepared when the, the open doors don't look like what you imagine them to be. Don't flinch because you, if you do, you might lose an opportunity that God prepared for you to preach the gospel. You know, this is why intimacy with Christ is so important. We have to be able to hear him when he's pointing in a direction that seems, oh, I don't know, outside of our comfort zone. we got to know him well enough to say, well, if you say so. I mean, if it's these women, it's these, if it's these are the women that are worshiping in this city, and this is it, if you say so. We've got to be ready for, for that kind of action, right? Our hearts have to be bent that way to see people in terms of souls. So we meet Lydia, a modern woman. She's a modern woman, okay? Verse 14, And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God. See, Lydia was a woman of business and influence in her community. She was a seller of purple. This meant that she sold fabrics, dyes, right? They were the color purple. Now that sounds like, okay, so she she worked in Joanne's, right? (laughs) Right? No, that's not, no. She's not like the old lady that, like, the knitting specialist that works at Joanne's. Oh, hi, honey. What are you looking for? <laughs> right? That's not who this was, right? Okay, so Lydia comes from Thyatira. Thyatira was a place that was famous for this purple dye. And she established a business that exported these dyes, which is why she's not in Thyatira, right? Which is the area in which Paul and them actually just came from that area, right? She's in Macedonia because she's doing business, right? She's doing business there. She's got a thriving business that exports these dyes. Now listen to me. Purple was no joke. Like if you wore purple in this time, that means you had, you had we used to call it Skrilla, right? Skrilla is like money, right? I don't know if y'all use that term anymore, right? But she had, this, she had the Skrilla magic. Yeah, she was rich, right? Okay, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. 
right? But she had money because, the, because purple was expensive. And rich and wealthy people in the city of Philippi were interested in buying it. Okay, so she's a woman of influence. And we know from our story that she must have been super uh, successful because despite having no husband in this story, there's no man associated with her, she had a home that was big enough to host Paul and all of her household, which means probably not not necessarily a family, as unlikely as a family, it's probably the people that she employed. You understand? So she had a big house. She had a mansion. Now Lydia was a God-fearer, which if you remember, meant that she was a Greek that worshipped the God of the Jews, the God of the Bible. Right? She's sympathetic to the God of the Bible, which means she didn't worship the Greek pantheon of her culture. She was bold enough to step outside of her own cultural uh, uh, predilection and, and consider the God of the Bible the, the one true God. That took some boldness on her part. So she's a woman of independent thinking, willing to follow her faith. But listen to me, despite her influence, despite her wealth, despite her spirituality, she was still lost in her sin. She's lost. She's, she didn't know Christ. See, the gospel was the key to unlock and set free this key woman. So listen. It says here that she worshiped God and she heard us, right? Verse 14, she heard us preaching the gospel whose heart the Lord opened. The gospel had the key to unlock her heart. And then she attended unto the things which were spoken of, of Paul. She responded to them. And then she was baptized. And not just her, but her household. She besought us, saying, If ye have judged me be, to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. See, we refer to Lydia as a key woman. I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard this term, a key person. Or, or sometimes you'll hear it in missions referred to as a person of peace. Have you heard this term before? Right? Sometimes you'll hear people refer to that term. And what that term means is that, that Lydia was a person who God had prepared over time so that when she received the gospel, she was positioned in a way to have influence over her community. Right? That's what we're talking about, a person of peace. So when a, when a missionary says that they've reached the person of peace, it means that they've, they've reached the person in a community of influence who has the ability and the respect to reach other people for the gospel's sake. That's what that means. Now, Lydia was a key person. She was a key person because she was a person of influence. And when she received the gospel and was baptized, the other people in her sphere of influence were prone to respond to that. They respected her. And so they would say to themselves, well, if Lydia is receiving this, she's a shrewd businesswoman. She's a woman of facts. Right? She keeps it real. She does not play around. She's also a person of great character. She's a person that worships the Lord. And when she responds to the gospel this way, I am also prone to respond to the gospel that way. And so her whole household, meaning most likely the people that worked for her, also received the gospel that day. They accepted Christ. 
You know, you hear about people of, of peace sometimes. And I want to point out just a few people of peace that I know. In India, there's a man named Ganesh. Many of you are familiar with him. And he's one of these men. He's a key person. He was a man of extremely low reputation. He was a man fairly destitute. Okay, In a place like Mumbai, India, he would have been considered of the lowest class. Right? Because of his heritage and his skin tone. But one day, someone preached the gospel to him on, on, on the beach where he was sitting and hanging out. Okay, it's called Juhu Beach. Some of you have been there. Someone preached the gospel to him and he rece- received Christ. Now today, something like 30 years later, he's an evangelist in Mumbai who's led thousands to Christ. Now listen to me. Don't think that guy who walked up to him on the day, that day on the beach and preached the gospel to him would have known what could have come. Right? What would have kind of come of, of Ganesh's life? Okay, Danny's dad, Christodas, key man. Okay? The churches that surround the city of Hyderabad come to Christodas as an influencer. They come and they, he, he organizes, he has this gift for organizing men of God. And he brings them together many, many times a year from all of the different villages and surrounding cities. He brings them together. And he preaches the word of God to them. And he makes sure that they're getting trained in theology. He's an influencer. He's having impact. Women like Deb Mulder. Who God has used in the lives of countless women. Like I'm certain that she can't even keep track. She's an influencer. You know, this week, <clears throat> Kitty Morgan wrote an article, came out Monday, I don't know if you read it, about why it is that we should focus our attention on the gospel instead of all the other things that are plaguing our society. Now listen to me. Kenny Morgan wrote this article. I had to like convince him to do it. He didn't really want to. Okay? But he did it. And he was faithful to do it. What is it? Like, like a page and a half. It's not even that long. We posted it on the Living Faith Fellowship website. Now, as of this morning when I looked, it had 25,000 hits. 25,000 people in six days read that article. Now, I can't explain that. I mean, I was in marketing for years. And I'm telling you right now, I can't explain that. Like that when something goes viral that way, it's because it resonates. Because it struck a chord. And whether he knew it or not, Kenny Morgan's an influencer. Now here's my question for you. Are you going to be like Lydia? Now, now maybe, maybe you're a student at university. Who's in your sphere of influence? I mean, are you going to be faithful to walk through the open doors that God gives you? You're in that class for a reason. You're surrounded by those, those people for a reason. I mean, I, again, I think you can be foolish enough to assume that God just orchestrated that thing. And those people that are sitting next to you in class, they're there because they've got a preordained moment with the gospel and it's going to come from your mouth. Okay, now listen to me. 
Maybe, maybe at your job, there are people that are your friends, their associates, people that you interact with on a daily basis, your sphere of influence. So yeah, you might, you might not be Lydia, and you might not be Ganesh. I don't know. Maybe you will be. Maybe you'll witness to the, the future Ganesh. Maybe you'll witness to the person who's going to lead a thousand people to the Lord. But if you don't st start opening your mouth and being the influencer that God made you to be, you'll never know the possibilities. You'll, you'll, you'll never know what God could do with you. Listen to me, guys. Listen to me. This is, such, this is so simple. I mean, it's so, it's so practical. God wants to use you. He's brought you to this church. Look around. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're here for a reason. Get discipled. Don't play at it. Don't pretend. You know you're here because this is your church. You visit, you know, you keep visiting, you keep coming back, and you know, the verdict's still out. I don't know. I'm testing the water. No, no, no. Shut up. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Get discipled. We want you. We need you. Come learn God's word. Okay, the areas that you don't quite understand yet, things you haven't figured out, okay, we'll work that out. Come join with us. The people in your classroom, the people that you work with, your family members, your friends. Oh, well, that was a mistake. That was an accident. That just happened by, by mistake. Now listen to me. God wants to use you. This is basic Christian logic. And if you, now listen to me. If you don't start opening your mouth, you're going to waste the opportunities. You're going to blink and those people will be gone. And you will lose an opportunity. And I don't want to say it this way, but you know, we're short on time. The blood's on your hands. You will answer for that. You will stand before the King of Kings and he will ask you, what did you use your influence to do? What are you going to say? What are you going to say? Now you might say in your heart right now, you might be saying, well, I don't feel like I'm qualified. I don't know what I would say. Or maybe you would say to yourself, I'm dealing with sin. And my heart hurts in such a way that I don't even feel qualified to open my mouth. Okay, come deal with that. Because we can't play. We can't play at this. This, this is too serious. Listen to me. If Paul wouldn't have gone to Lydia, and if Lydia wouldn't opened her mouth and been the influencer that she was, listen to me. The story of Europe being reached may have looked different The Western church may have not, I'd love to do a little church history lesson right now. I don't have time for it, but listen to me. Things could have looked much different if Lydia wasn't who she was supposed to be in Christ. Now it's your turn. So whatever it is that you're dealing with, whatever's going on in your heart, well, you better deal with it because time is wasting. We don't have time for worship. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask that if, you, if God's dealing with you right now, you need to grab a hold of someone and don't you dare leave until you've dealt with whatever's going on because it's time. I don't care what anybody tells you, the imminent return of Christ is a real thing. Paul said it. Peter said it. Every generation of believers has said Christ could come back at any moment. I'm telling you, we're looking for him and he'll be here any moment. You better be ready. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord,
Use your word in our lives right now. And God, call us, call us to something greater. Call us to greater intimacy in your word. Lord, call us to see souls the way Paul saw them. Lord, call us to influence people the way, the way that, that Lydia influenced people. Lord, help us to open our mouths. Help us to disciple the people that we lead to the Lord. Help us to influence those in our Bible study. Help us to counsel people from your word. Let us not waste any moment that you've given us. Lord, make our lives uh, precious, useful, kingdom-minded, not full of chaff, not full of, of wood, hay, stubble. Make our life about gold and, and silver and precious stones. Make our lives prepared for the judgment. Lord, I ask that in this room right now, everyone who heard this message, Lord, that your word would impact them in such a way that they can't leave the way that they came in. Use your word. Change us today. I ask this, Lord, very, very humbly before you. In the name of my Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.li.com.